Hello, friends and colleagues. It's Nikki from Full Voice Music, and this is the Full Voice Podcast, episode 125, also the season premiere of our fifth season, five years. On this podcast, I'm going to be talking about better email communications. Oh, such an important thing this time of year. Well, every time of year. And I also have some fantastic guests. First of all, I have my dear friend, colleague and co-moderator of the Voice Teachers for Young Singers Forum, Dana Lentini. She is sharing her favorite props that she uses with students of all ages in her lessons. I also have our social media expert, Karen Michaels. She is sharing her information about using LinkedIn best practices and how it can be an effective tool. We also have Alan Henderson, Executive Director of Nats. He's going to come on and share the Composer Mentorship Program. Lots of great conversations, wonderful tips, strategies, best practices for your teaching studio right here on the Full Voice Podcast. Hello and welcome, my voice teaching professional friend and colleague. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode and another season of the Full Voice Podcast. I can't believe that I've been doing this for five years. It has been such an amazing journey. And in doing and facilitating all these wonderful interviews, I now have Uh, I now have a global audience and I now have personal friends and colleagues from around the world. I am in awe of the community that has surrounded this podcast and I cannot thank you enough for joining me today. I am excited. Our fifth season, uh, we are going to have a little bit of a different format. See, there's just so much that you have to know as a successful music teacher. And it's not just about music theory and how to teach. It's about how to run your business. It's how to deal with families. It's how to use social media. It's how not to get burnt out. There's just so many things. So in each and every episode, we're going to be hearing from several experts in our field. And uh, I'm really excited because uh, there's just so many takeaways and um, to bring people who are not only experts in our industry. So these are professional voice educators. They all have secret, well, I guess they're not secret, but they all have superpowers. Uh, They all have specialties, and I'm happy to bring them onto the podcast to share their super skills with you. So today, uh, I'm going to be talking about better email communication, something so important. But Dana is going to be sharing her uh, look at uh, some, some of her favorite props that she uses in her teaching studio. And of course, our social media expert, our social butterfly, Karen Michaels, is talking about LinkedIn. Do you use LinkedIn? And Alan Henderson, our executive director from Nats, will be popping in to talk about the Composer Mentorship Program, a new uh, initiative at Nats. So lots of great conversations. I always like to start off Uh, the podcast when I'm sharing information with a question. So here's my question. I hope it's not inappropriate, but 
How many unanswered emails are sitting in your inbox right now? Did you just shudder? Did you just roll your eyes? Did I make you feel bad? I didn't mean to make you feel bad. I swear. I, I, I have, I have a, a hate, despise and raging relationship with my email. And um, I, I know that it is an important part of running a business. Um, but there are just days where the thought of sitting down and having to respond to all the emails, it can be really stressful. And email communication is actually quite challenging. So I wanted to offer some straight ahead strategies uh, and a lot of this is common sense, but you know what? Common sense is not common practice. And full disclosure, doing the research on this and kind of reconnecting with this information was a good exercise for me. Now, we are starting... Um, we're, well, for those of us in the uh, Northern Hemisphere, most of us are kind of getting ready for our busy season. Now, I know many of you are teaching throughout the the year but some of us take breaks in the summer some of us have slower schedules in the summer but the fall usually is the time when we are ramping up now i know that you know this but uh we are <sighs> we are starting a school year like no other and uh, families are facing some very, very difficult decisions. In fact, you may be dealing with these difficult decisions when it comes to your own children uh, and trying, obviously, your, you know, what are they going to do for school? And of course, our ability to run our businesses. So it's, uh, it's a very challenging time. So as a professional, a business professional, offering services to families and understanding that families right now are pretty overwhelmed. How can we improve? How can we streamline uh, our communications so that we're not just adding to their overwhelm? How can we make it easier for families to do business with us? I can't tell you how important that is right now. And I know that many of us are worried about students quitting because of COVID. Well, students are going to quit for many reasons. They might use COVID as an excuse, but it's it doesn't matter. We need to recognize that um, that everybody right now, everybody is in a challenged position and dealing with a lot. So I have a really great list of strategies and mindfulness for 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 writing emails. And I want to tell you, when you when you have crafted very well written emails, you will get responses. You will get quick responses. You will get the information that you're looking for and hopefully, again, with well crafted emails, you won't have to do the annoying back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I hate that. That's where that's where email becomes such a tedious chore when, especially when we can just call them and have a conversation and then have all the answers we need and not hate them. Um, so I want to talk about um, uh, crafting uh, really great emails. But I also, before I want to, before we dive into that, I want to put 
an aside here. Okay. And this is so important. Um, and this is something I've learned over the years and it has always served me well. And if you've listened to the full voice podcast, I've talked about this on several occasions. So here's my, here's my cautionary aside. If you want to cultivate a studio culture. And we are in charge of that. That doesn't just happen. We we plant those seeds. We nurture those relationships. So if you want to cultivate a studio culture that is friendly, that is supportive, and that is prosperous, you need to have healthy face-to-face relationships with your families. If you're dealing with kids, you're dealing with families, whether you like it or not. And face-to-face interactions are always best when you're working with young students. And I want to share a couple of things quickly. First of all, when COVID hit and I had to basically overnight move online I didn't have too much trouble doing so. I didn't lose anybody. There were a few families that I knew I was worried about and I immediately reached out with a phone call and I talked to them and I assured them and they had lots of questions and they had lots of worries and I was so glad to let them know that I was there for them and I was there to help. And I also want to share this with you. So again, when my son, after uh, after the kids were sent home, the schools were closed, my son's grade four teacher did exactly the same thing. She called She called, she asked how we were doing, she asked about my son, she called, she cared, she totally blew me away with her communication. And that was probably the only reason that we stuck it out for three months of really stressful trying to figure out the platform, trying to find the online resources, trying to find the the time to get into the meetings and figuring out the passwords. Like it was a lot of very disorganized and I'm I'm not faulting teachers cuz oh my goodness, they had to they they were they were doing their best. But the the her reaching out and having a phone call with me made all the difference in the world. And I, want, and I want people to remember that. So we cannot hide behind email communications. So here are my tips for crafting personal and responsive emails. So first and foremost, rule number one, clarify and simplify your email communications. Families are overwhelmed and everybody has inboxes full of emails. So how can you streamline? So I always like to think of it as a here's what you need to know email. No fluff. No flowery. You know, I mean, yes, you want it to have a bit of personality, but get right to the point And um, please try to stay away from dissertations (laughs) and and extensive information. So if you have done a whole bunch of uh, research on COVID, don't dump that into an email and send it to your families. Please don't do that. Um, Do not outline every single detail. Okay, get to the point, make your make your emails as short and sweet as possible. It is so important. People do not want to read a war and peace novel about your lessons starting up in the fall. Now, the other thing that we sometimes forget about is the subject line. 
And a subject line can uh, help parents to prioritize your email. So if it's too friendly or if it's kind of like, you know, hi from Nikki, um, they may not open it. You can put, um, you know, please respond by or um, sometimes I will put the title of my email for my families and then in the heading I'll say please respond. Um, I, and again, I'm not trying to be rude. I just, I need them to know it's not one of those read this and and you can forget about it kind of emails. Now, when you go into the body section, so this is where you can do some fantastic work. And um, the first thing I want to tell you about is uh, white space, short paragraphs and white space. If you want your family to read the entire email, put white spaces between your well-written short and sweet paragraphs. This makes the copy easy on the eyes. This is a page layout and design 101. White space is essential. The human eye actually needs white space to know where they flow in the pages. This is important in your website too. If you have a website that's too cluttered with pictures and um, uh, text and there's no white space between it, people will not know where to go and look and they will click away. So can you use and space out your information? The other really great thing to make your copy look pretty and to get clean, clear points is you can use bullet points. You can uh, you can use bolded text, underline, italics. Um, now, don't do all of it. So don't have different colored, different size text and, and then bullets and then like keep it clean. Make it look really, really really concise. Um, and it can really help to, when you do this, when you're thoughtful in this, it can really help to, to draw their eye to the information that you really need them to respond to. Um, the other thing we need to keep in mind is that so many people, most of us are reading our emails on our phone. So short sentences or sorry, short paragraphs, white space is so helpful. And I have to tell you something, there is like a physical response. Like if I get an email and it is just a big, long paragraph, just a whole bunch of text, my immediate physical response is full on rage. I'm not lying. It is something I noticed the other day. I got, I got this email from the school board and it was just no white space. And it was so difficult. I was livid because it's I knew that I would have to sit down and 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 it would take me a while to read through it. Now what happens when you do this, when you put in way too much information or your emails are far too long, people will open the email, they'll look at all your shenanigans and then they will close the email and they will think to themselves, "Oh, I'll just respond to this later. I don't have time now." Um, and then we forget, right? Then the email files down the queue. I do this all the time. I, there's an email. I think, oh gosh, it's going to take me too long to respond to that. I'll, I'll do it later. 
So that that is one of the reasons why a lot of our emails aren't being responded to. Now the challenge here, and I appreciate this because I am a chatty Kathy and I do tend to type way too much information. Um, and I know others like this. Okay, so as teachers, <laughs> we want to share all the things at all the times. And sadly, all our extra efforts, they just frustrate and overwhelm people. So if you are heck bent, if you are heck bent on sharing very specific or lengthy details that may not be as pertinent to your email as you would think, um, you can make it a clickable link. I like doing that because if there's something that parents need to learn, they can they can choose whether or not they're going to to click on that link and, and find that information. So that's a really good strategy. Clickable links are, are very helpful. Uh, and then parents can choose if they need that information or they don't need that information. So the other thing that we want to add in our body, and this ties in with our headline and our body, is your call to action. Did you hear that? That was my Fitbit telling me to walk. Well, I'll have to wait because I'm an important podcast interview with myself right now. All right. So going back to the call to action. So call to actions are very important. And this applies to websites. This applies to emails. This applies to all of our social media posts. I forget this one sometimes. Sometimes I do not clearly define what I am looking for and what the next step is for the person reading my email. So you have to politely tell people what the next step is. Please respond to this email and let me know if you are returning for September. Deadline for responses is August whatever or September whatever. A clear call to action is more likely to get a quick response. And if you can make it very simple, like one or two sentences, so if somebody's just responding on their phone, then you're more likely to get a quick and concise response. And that's something to check. Check your websites. Do they have a call to action? If somebody goes to your website, they think you might be the greatest teacher they've ever seen online and they want to study with you, what's their next step? What's the call to action? Click here to register. Click here to fill out my form. Make sure you make it clear. Sometimes we assume that people know what to do, but they often need that guidance. So your call to action. Now, I want to just jazz this up a little bit because there's a few things that I came across in my research that I found interesting and I am going to work harder myself in my email communications. So the first one is um, uh, cliches. Using email cliches is a big no-no. Ooh, okay. So what is a cliche? Well, because email is, we use it so excessively. It's just an everyday thing. Um, there are common phrases that we use and they are completely, they're, they're just missed. They've lost their impact and they can actually read the wrong way depending on how you're using them or what kind of response you want. So, um, or the, well, People kind of tune out too, right? When you use these, um, they can uh, they can kind of also be insincere too. So here are the the top seven cliches that you should not 
be using in your emails. Number one, please find attached. I do that. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm, I have to stop doing that. Please find attached the file that you requested. All right. Number two, thank you in advance. Hmm. I don't know if I've used that, but thank you in advance is considered an email cliche. Uh, I look forward to hearing from you. Apparently, we should not be using that. I use that. I'm going to stop. Per our conversation. My bank manager uses that. My my account manager at the bank uses that. I don't know if that's a bank thing. Anyhow, uh, I hope you're doing well. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's an email cliche. And you know what? I have been using that all the time. I'm going to stop. I will be more sincere and say something else. Uh, sorry for the late reply. Ooh, is also an email cliche. Ooh, they, yeah, that's kind of, it's kind of a default autopilot thing that I use when I know I should have responded. Oh, okay. And of course... This one I do not like. I, I get this one makes me angry when people send me this when I get the to whom it may concern. <laughs> so avoid these common used phrases. It tunes people out. And I think uh, I think if they can come off as being cold or insincere. So be careful of the cliches. Now, the other thing that we have to do, and again, I am so bad, is check for errors, grammatical errors, and spelling errors. Did I tell you about the time I sent a group email to my entire studio inviting them to my spring rectal? It's a true story. I did that. And I still have a, a family. I still have a dad that reminds me about the rectal. He always says, Nikki, when's the rectal? <laughs> yeah. So um, spell check and checking your syntax, checking your, your grammar, uh, all of that again, when we're responding to so many emails, like it gets challenging, doesn't it? It really can be such a time consuming thing, but it's so important. Now, I want to tell everybody, I, for many years, actually, I've been using Grammarly. Um, now, Grammarly is a web plugin, and it is not just a spell check. Grammar, Grammarly is actually quite powerful. They have a free version and so this web plugin, you can install it in your word processing. It can show up in your social media posts, like in your social media platforms. Grammarly is used in there. Um, and it's just a little, it's just a little green dot that sits in the bottom in the corner. And it tells, tells me when uh, there's errors. And then it also tells us there's improvements. I, if you do a lot of writing, if you're a blog writer, if you uh, do a lot of promotional writing, um, I highly recommend that and check it out. Now I've upgraded to the professional um, version and it's worth every penny. So I will be more than happy to put uh, links to that resource in the show notes so you can check that out. Now to tie all of this together, the one thing that is probably one of the most challenging things about email is about tone, finding the right tone. Now, keep in mind that when we are using nonverbal forms of communication, email, texting, 
we human nature is to always read negative, angry, upset in the tone. So we have to actually work really hard in our in our language and what words we choose in our sentences to prevent that. It's really tricky. You don't want to sound too casual. Uh, and you don't want to sound like an uncaring voice teacher robot either, I don't think. Um, and uh, here's the, here's my kind of rule. And this is a really good rule. Uh, and I can't think of this. Is, I can't remember who gave me this. And I apologize for not attributing properly, but this is a very good rule. If you are feeling icky about what you have to write to a mom or a dad or a student. If it's just you keep deleting it and you read it and it's like, oh, that doesn't sound good. That is a perfect example of when you want to make a phone call. That if you know that there's just, it's going to be hard for them to read your tone, you need to give them a call. So use that kind of as a marker. All right. If it's, and if you have to write a war and peace size novel to get your point out, uh-uh, that is a phone call as well. So please don't make the mistake of trying to, um, state your case or make a point or deal with angry or disappointed people with an email, it will never go well. They will always read the tone as negative. So that's a really good route, uh, a really good route. Now, again, the other thing too, um, with tone, and this again, you got to be careful with this, you can sometimes use emojis. Now, it depending if you're a lawyer, no, I don't think you would use emojis. But you know, if you're working with kids and families. I think my my parents know me well enough to know that my emoji use is, is sincere. And I do use it if I need people to know that I'm happy. Uh, so, and I also use little emojis as bullet points to get their attention. Or if there's the call to action, I'll use the hand pointing, like the finger pointing as if to say, look right here. So sometimes you can use emojis to really clarify, have some fun. Um, if you're letting go of someone, maybe not a good place to use emojis, use your common sense and just, and if you're not sure, my last tip would be make sure to have somebody else read it. Maybe a spouse, maybe a partner, maybe a colleague or a friend. Just ask them, can you just read through this and tell me if it sounds okay? That's always very helpful. And, um, one of my students uh, a few years ago, um, Pastor Stephen, <laughs> Pastor Stephen uh, came in for lessons. He was uh, the music, uh, wor- he was the pastor of music in his church, and he came in for lessons, and he was just a lovely man, but Pastor C- Stephen gave me the best advice. He's like, sometimes you need to save your email and just pray. Pray on that email. Wait, wait an evening, pray, and then come back to your email. So there's a good tip. Thank you, Pastor Stephen, for that. I have done that. I have typed out an email, put it in my draft box, come back the next day, and was thankful that I did not send that email out. So there's your there's your little tip. Now, if you want to have fun, I have one more little uh, 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 one more little option that is fun is the uh, email signature programs. I use a fun thing. Now you can design one for free in your email program. A lot of them will have like a signature footer option, but I use wise stamp. 
I like Y-Stamp because it has a little picture of me. It has all my links. It shares my socials. I can customize it. I can customize the colors. Mine actually has, if you've ever gotten an email from me, it also has a really nice scripted happy singing because that's what I want everybody to enjoy is happy singing. So you can have fun and personalize your emails as well. Um, and again, I think that's super helpful uh, in in. Uh, making things easier for families because my families know that all my contact information is at the bottom. So if they have to call or go to the website, everything's there. So that, my friends, is your crash course mini masterclass on better email communications. I do hope that you will take some time to look at how you use that uh, tool and if you can streamline it and make it clearer and cleaner and really easy on the eyes, um, I guarantee that you're going to see better responses and people will be opening them up. And again, again, keep in mind, this is going to be a year like no other, but you got this. Happy emailing. Long gone are the days when a voice teacher only sits at the piano to demonstrate or lecture about singing. Teachers now have so many fun and engaging tools or props to inspire and connect students to their voices. I'm excited to have my friend, colleague, and author of the new Hal Leonard release, Teaching the Child Singer, Dana Lentini. She's here, and she is sharing her favorite props that she uses in her teaching studio. Welcome back to the podcast, Dana Lentini. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you. How are you? I'm well, I'm excited because I want to know. <laughs> I always love when we talk about the fun things that we do in our studios with the kiddos. Uh, but I want to talk about props. You are a huge advocate for using different props to engage your students. So I need to know what your top three props that you use in your teaching studio and go. Okay. And go boy, that's, I'll have <laughs> no to pressure. start with the pin. I'll have to start with the pinwheel because the pinwheel is what every first student for their first lesson, they get to leave their lesson with a pinwheel and whether they're 63 or they're six, they get a pinwheel and everyone loves to leave their lesson with a pinwheel. And so I when I did the Nats, when I did my Nats session, um, somebody actually asked, what's a pinwheel? And so we're on a podcast, so we can't see an example, but there yeah. is a picture and it's not a very good picture, but I think in my book, actually, we have a kid using the pinwheel. So a pinwheel is just the little stick with a little um, flowery thing on it that when you blow on it, it spins. And I have to, you know, it was Kenneth Phillips in his book. I think the pinwheel was in his book. And that's when I was like, oh, this is brilliant. This is so great. But the pinwheel is such a great tool for that very first lesson to bring awareness to our breath and how we just use breath and how we need to find, you know, that stability in our breath because it's stability in the breath that makes a pinwheel turn. You know, if you just blast it, it goes away, right? But right. if you get that stream of stability that blows that pinwheel, 
consistently. So that's my first and you know, that's the that that comes in your welcome package with my voice lessons. That is a brilliant <laughs> tip. Okay, I have to know where do you get your pinwheels? Where do you where do you Oh, okay. Oh, that's a good question. I get the pinwheels. I buy them in bulk from the Oriental Trading Company. Um because oh. you can yeah, you can buy like 30 pinwheels for like $10. Oh, great. Um, yeah, so I, I buy them from, from there and, um, and then, you know, they'll actually, you know, during the 4th of July here in the U S they'll have red, white, and blue ones, you know, uh, seasonally they'll have ones with snowflakes on them. Um, so, you know, you can, you can get fun ones. So, um, and I also find that the little smaller ones, cause I had bought bigger ones before, but the smaller little ones that I, you can see in my book, um, I find that they spin the easiest. Some of them, you know, if you get certain ones they get like stuck sometimes and so mm. you want to get a good one that has a nice spin to it um so and then another one that's of course you know I can't talk about props and not talk about the prop that's on the cover of my book ah yes which is that Hoberman sphere which you know that's been a lot of teachers talk about it in a lot of the forums it's such a great tool that can be used for so, so many things. Um, but just first and foremost, a child can just hold it and just take a breath and see that expansion. So that gets them away from that rising in the shoulders and gaining that tension in their upper body. Because when, you know, you ask children to take in a breath, you know, like taking a deep breath or taking a good breath or taking any kind of breath, they just naturally have that reflux, reflux to just kind of take in tension. I use the Hoberman spear with my adults and I, it's yes. so effective. Like it's, it, that is a, that is a tool in my studio that, although mind yeah. you, mine got broken. So I do need to, oh, you need another one. I know. Sometimes you have to caution the kids not to yank on them. (laughs) I know. Because that's what happens. But I find the Hoberman sphere is so effective that showing the expansion and being able to move like that does take the tension and, and gets them out of their shoulders. And you can use it with so many things. You can use it for, you know, even vocal um, expression lines of, you know, where they go up and down or when they're, you know, when they're reaching for higher notes, you can take their mind off of, oh, I'm reaching for this high note to just open this sphere. And you can get bigger ones, too, that can like really open up wide. So there's so many fun, fun things that you can do with the Hoberman sphere. And then so the other things in my uh, in my prop um, group, I have, you know, stretchy bands, stretchy noodles, and the, um, stability ball, which all kind of all intercorrelate together that we're trying to find that stability in our sound. And we can use them for a whole host of things. Um, I talk in my book about the word tonus and the word tonus, as I learned from my, my master's um, pedagogy professor, he would always use this word tonus. And, and, and that means, you know, to have that tone that's and tone, not like a musical tone, but tone, like in muscles, right. That it's toned. It's not, Mm. it's not weak and limp and it's not mm, tight and tense, but it has that stability. So that's where any of these kind of, um, elastic things can show us that we can sit on them, we can hold them, we can 
hug them when we breathe. There's so many different things that we can do with any of those kind of props that I find really effective. And that's why I have, again, noodly things and bands and balls because they can um, do all kinds of things. And then if you have a smaller ball, um, I do all kinds of fun things with those smaller balls of even just throwing them when we're singing to, mm. you know, get, get students again to start thinking about something else. And so we'll, we'll play catch sometimes with, with a ball when they're singing their song to just get, um, a whole other, you know, get out of our head. That's what they need it. to do. And that's what props really help us do. They help us get outside of, you know, our head and into this tactile experience. And it's something that I did. I, I had a wonderful teacher at the University of Michigan, Lorna Haywood. She was the first teacher I had that used a lot of props and she had wonderful props. And I still use some of those props. And now just through the years, I've, you know, I, I have all kinds of crazy props on my piano. My whole piano is covered in, you know, seashells. And, you know, in, in any moment, you're like, oh, there's feathers. What can I do with this feather? This kid is distracted. What can I, I don't know. I just sure. I have all kinds of crazy things. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing all of those wonderful tips. I've, I have those props, but there's I have some new ideas right now. So thank you for that. You're so welcome. Dana, your your book, Teaching the Child Singer, is available. It's uh, published by Hal Leonard. I'm going to put links on the show notes to your resources. Thank you for sharing your inspiration and your passion and your, your teaching strategies. And we will be talking to you soon in the future. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Nikki. A special thank you to Dana. And Dana will be returning to our episode, our very next episode. We're going to be discussing her brand new book, Teaching the Child Singer Pediatric Pedagogy for Ages 5 to 13. So be sure not to miss episode 126. Savvy music teachers know the importance of using social media to promote their businesses. Many teachers favor using Facebook and Instagram. Some of you are having fun with TikTok, but what about LinkedIn? Ooh, now LinkedIn had that dull and stuffy reputation, but the platform has made many changes and now offers some fantastic opportunities for promoting our studios. Our social media expert, Karen Michaels, is sharing the new updates and best practices for posting using hashtags correctly and the difference between selling and serving. Now, just a quick heads up, there is some crackle in this recording due to some internet issues that we had at the time of recording, but I guarantee Karen's awesomeness shines right through. Welcome back to the podcast, Karen Michaels, our social media expert. Thank you for returning because you are always so inspiring and passionate about <sighs> using social media platforms as tools to help leverage our businesses, our teaching studios. Yes. And today we're talking about LinkedIn. I know LinkedIn, which is 
used to be the unsexy stepsister <laughs> of social media, <laughs> right? <laughs> and now I don't know what she she went to. Um, she did a little um, retreat and became this <laughs> this beautiful. Um, I I have to say that I have been super impressed with LinkedIn and and the changes they made. It's always inspiring to me, Nikki, when when a company like that it it was already working. It was fine. It was great. Obviously, they're making you know money and and it's it's well known and but they dug in and said what can we do better for our people and how can we make ourselves grow and become an even bigger business and um and my humble opinion is they saw they saw the writing on the wall a little bit with with Facebook and some of the challenges that Facebook has had um and they took note of that and they've done a really good job of of trying not to make those ma- those mistakes and um lifting up their their platform. So I'm a I'm a LinkedIn lover. I never nice. thought I would say that. <laughs> okay. Full disclosure, yes. I I neglected my LinkedIn profile for the <laughs> longest time, but I mm. started I I actually recently have started to revisit it and I've Good. Uh, you'll be proud of me, Karen. I updated my my profile and I yes. added my website and I've tried to you know, I've been reaching out and connecting with people and I have to say there are Good. some really nice features. Uh, Gorgeous. With that platform. And, Gorgeous. And for those of you who are a little overwhelmed with some of the, you know, the the a- algorithms, what you get shown mm-hmm. in your Facebook feed, I find mm-hmm. LinkedIn to be much, much cleaner than... Th- <laughs> I agree. I agree. It's, it's much more, um, it's become much more user-friendly and you 100%, there is still an algorithm of course going on, but you 100% see your followers, especially if you, um, it it does do that thing where if you like and comment, you're going to see those people more. Right. And so that's, you know, that it's always a good idea to, well, you, and think of it this way. You're supporting your colleagues. You're supporting your friends when you comment and like and share, which are all the things that you can do on LinkedIn. So that should feel very familiar. Um, and also, and they have some new fun, fun features. One of the, the best things I have found about LinkedIn is that it leans, it still leans towards the professional and mm-hmm. um, more academic. And so um, for those of you who feel like the casualness of social media isn't your, it's not your jam, I think uh, LinkedIn will fit in gorgeously for you, you know, but we, we still want to, we still want to realize that social media is, is not something that people just sit down and read like a book. So you want to keep your sentences short. You want to simplify your words. You want to have lots of white space. So really think through your paragraphs. You want to have lots of short paragraphs. So it's easy, easy to look at and easy to see. You can actually have video up to 10 minutes. You can upload a a pre-existing video. So if you did a Facebook Live, for example, you can share that over to your LinkedIn page. Absolutely. It just needs to be 10 minutes or less. And um, LinkedIn has its own built-in hashtags. So right at the bottom of your post, you can add up to three or four. You can can add more, but best practices um, are three to four hashtags. And they'll give you prompts so you can see what hashtags are, are, if they bold, 
if they're in bold when you're looking at your computer um, or your phone, you can use your mobile device or your computer. Um, those are really, those are hashtags that are bigger. They're more right. common. And so they'll be, um, those will be advantageous for people to find you. So those are really, so, really important. So unlike, unlike Instagram, where people will put in ridiculous amounts of up hashtags, to 30. Uh-huh. up to 30, mm-hmm. LinkedIn's saying only three. <laughs> three to four. Three yes. to four, okay. Three to good four to is, know, is like perfect. It's good to know the best practices for the yes. different for the different platforms. And I think that's important because, okay, for people who don't know, what happens if you do not abide by the best practices? What happens? Well, in general, what happens if it's, if it's an egregious mistake or an egregious error, you can get banned. That's the, that's that, that's all the way to the extreme. So okay. that's why I always talk about best practices because we don't want to have any issues. You're, you could be shadow banned, which means that you can still post, but they're really not showing you at all. So it becomes really useless. Um, shadow banned. Is that a, mm, sh- I've never heard shadow that banning. term. It's, it's a term. So you're still on the platform, but they mm-hmm. just aren't going to be sharing your stuff. Wow. Yes. And it's hard to tell if that's happened to you. I've only mm. seen it one time with a client and it's because they were, um, they were using, they had brought me in to help them and they were using 50 to 60 hashtags and they were all really, the other mm. thing about hashtags is you know, for example, COVID-19, I know a lot of people are using that hashtag and you have to be careful unless you're talking about it. I literally, um, as you know, I, I work for um, Nats and we are having real conversations and real experts about COVID-19. And so I had to go in and have a, a back-end discussion with one of the Facebook people because we almost got hit because we had used COVID-19 in the verbiage. And so then they went and investigated it's a real thing there. The, the platforms are looking at that. You can't just say COVID-19 and then talk about, you know, lipstick or something like that. So you want to use oh. hashtags that are 100% relevant to your subject matter, not just the time. Now, obviously, as voice teachers, we are dealing with COVID-19 in ways where we're online teaching or if some of some of us are having students in person, you know, we're spreading them out. We're using UV lights and we're looking at HEPA filters and all of these amazing things mm-hmm. that we're learning. So we can use those hashtags. But I, I will say, just take note that they might look at your account and they might ask, why are you using this? Or mm. how is this relevant to your content? And just be able to back that up. That's it. That's all you oh, have to that's do. A, that's a great tip. Now, mm-hmm. LinkedIn, LinkedIn, you were mm-hmm. mentioning that LinkedIn was really good for promoting your blogs. It is absolutely fantastic. So what happens on LinkedIn is you can do, uh, um, when you sign in and you're looking at the, I'm picturing it in my mind, and you look at the platform, there's something called um, post an article. Okay. And when you post an article, that is something longer than a post because I don't remember the exact amount of words, but there's a post, um, there's a post link that you can do. I want to say that it's um, about half of Instagram. Instagram, you can do what I call microblogging. It's about 2,200 characters, um, but but LinkedIn is is much less. It's about a thousand or so. Um, and but what you can do if you have a if you have a a blog post, you can post it as an article. And mm-hmm. if it is important and and relevant to the times, 
um, they can pick it up and share it to oh. the whole platform. That's oh, wow. one of the biggest differences. Facebook and Instagram and those other accounts, they won't do that. But mm-hmm. LinkedIn could potentially share your article with its entire platform. I mean, that's millions of people, not wow. just your followers. So that's a really important and really relevant, especially for those people who are um, writing important content that you want as many people to see it as possible. So I love post an article. It won't always get picked up, but it has that opportunity. Uh, and we it. always now, want to take our opportunities. <laughs> for somebody, for say somebody who's who's hasn't really shown LinkedIn any love recently what would (laughs) where would you suggest they get started sure so you want to make sure that your profile is filled out as I always say that's best practices it doesn't matter if you're an expert or a beginner if your profile isn't properly filled out they will you know it's just like anything I can't believe when I see some people's headers and it's that blue and white Graphic oh, and they thing. haven't put a picture. Or and they anything. haven't put a picture in there. Come on. I mean, nowadays, I understand in the beginning, but nowadays you just go into Canva, right? And you look, you type in LinkedIn header, poof, it pops up. You throw something in there, even if it's a gradient color with your name, you know, gradient. If you add yours, Nikki, for example, gradient greens with full voice music done. That's all it needs. And that just tells them that, that that's, it's weird, but they can see all of that back end stuff. And if mm. you don't have a header, then that it just, they just don't take you as seriously. That's just because it, what it does is it makes their platform look not as good. Right. Well, I think so too, they want I you mean, to fill we, that out. we want, we always want to put our best business, um, information forward and visuals yes. are so important. Oh, and and with your, I love Canva. I do a lot of our our graphics and, and everything on Canva. It's not yes. difficult to do. It just takes it just takes a little bit of time. So it does. It's a wonderful thing. So you want to fill that out, and then and then just like anything now, and what I've loved about LinkedIn, this is one of the cornerstones that they've 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 made the turn, if you will, is that they don't just want succinct listed information. I worked here. I did this. I did that. I did this. I did that. They want a story. So instead in your headline, instead of your most recent job or the the job that you're in or the the business that you own, tell a story in that space. Nice. They're asking for more story driven information as opposed to that laundry list of here's how amazing I am. Instead say, Hey, welcome to my page. Here's what I do. Here's who I want to connect with. Are you one of those people? I mean, that is a thing. And now I will say, I, I, I really want to caution everybody about this because I've noticed an uptick in this um, about reaching into people's direct messages, DMing people. Oh, yes. Um, you know, I mean, I'm going to say two things and it might seem that they're, they're the antithesis of each other, but <laughs> it's okay to, to cold call. It is okay to reach out. But I would say if you're going to reach out, you need to be offering something, not, mm. not, and I don't mean, here's how I have this thing that you could use and it's, however many dollars. I don't mean offering something. I mean, serving them. Mm. Hey friend, I saw this and I thought you might really enjoy seeing this. Mm. And thanks for connecting with me. 
right. something like that, or let's connect because I think that um, I have something beneficial for you and not for sale. You know, oh, nice. just be careful about how you're reaching out to people because I, I'm, I've been shocked the last two weeks. I don't know if it's like a summer end push, but a lot of like selling as opposed mm. to serving. Ooh, selling versus serving. I love that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with selling. We all need to sell and we all need to make money. And money is a beautiful thing. Money is the way we serve our families. Money is the way we serve our churches and our communities. We have to have money. There is nothing wrong with it. I love money. It is wonderful. But we also need to serve and and share with people um, and make sure that they know why we're there and what we're doing. That's mm. what becomes important. And then they'll want to give you their hard-earned dollars, right? I love it. Yeah, I love it. That's I, really important. I really appreciate uh, the reminder of of getting on LinkedIn and making our profiles uh, pretty. And and I would also like to say for those teachers that have invested the time and effort in branding their mm. studios is to continue that branding onto your LinkedIn profiles right. and onto your page. Like it's the branding isn't just for our websites; it's for all of our platforms. So thank you. That's for that. right. Absolutely, you can have a business profile and a personal or just a business Mm -hmm. because I know it can feel like I I know these platforms can feel like a lot but um, they're really as I just said to someone yesterday back in the day we could never have afforded a print ad in Mm. one of the beautiful magazines or we or a commercial on television that was just it's just unheard of right but now Mm. we have this amazing opportunity to to essentially advertise what we do to people around us for, oh, well, and if you're, I mean, you could certainly never pay for these platforms right now. They're all free. I don't, it shocks me when people are not on them because it's free advertising and they're allowing it so graciously. I love it. Well, Karen, (laughs) thank you for uh, getting us back up to date on all things LinkedIn today. Yes. And we will have you back, of course, with another platform, another social media tip. So thank you so much. Thrilled to be here as always, Nikki. Thank you so much and have a beautiful day. Did you know that the Full Voice Podcast is part of the NatsCast Network? It's true. Along with other fantastic vocally inspired podcasts such as Holistic Voice, Vocal Fry, and New York Vocal Coaching, The Full Voice Podcast is so proud to partner with the National Association of Teachers of Singing to share important and exciting initiatives. Joining me today is Alan Henderson to share details about the Composer Mentorship Program. Welcome back to the podcast, Executive Director of the National Association of Teachers of Singing, Alan Henderson. How are you? I'm great, Nikki. Thanks for having me today. It is always a pleasure, and I do appreciate your time and keeping us all uh, abreast of what is happening. Uh, Today, we're talking about uh, mentoring programs. Now, Nats works very hard to create community within its organization and to offer mentoring opportunities. Uh, But today, I want to talk to you about their composer mentoring program you have. Right. Um, We have a relatively new committee uh, on the Nats organiz- in the Nats organization, and it's called the Art Song Collaborative. And as we were having conversations with 
the group that helped form this, which is uh, also, while it's also has some voice teachers, there are a number of composers uh, in this art song collaborative and uh, some other partners that we work with regularly on the art song uh, advocacy front. And so we began talking and some of the composers said, you know, it'd be great if we could supplement some of the mentoring things that Nats does with uh, some mentoring of composers and encouraging the composition of art song. And uh, they just were so excited about this and they started talking among themselves and the next meeting they came back with this whole plan of action of how to make this a reality they started you know they were basically volunteering their time to coordinate this uh, tom chapulo and Lori leitman in particular are champions of of this idea and uh, and so the committee was like yeah let's 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 do this this sounds great and so what they did uh is nothing kind of short of a miracle in, in many ways because if i had reached out to some of these composers it would have taken me forever probably to reach a few of them uh, and talk sure. to them about the project but within about a week or two they had recruited 10 really well-known composers H. Leslie Adams, Michael Ching, Anthony Davis, of all people, Pulitzer wow. Prize winner, uh, wow. Juliana Hall, Jake Heggie, Evan Mack, Roy Jennings, and Tom and Lori and uh, Andrea Clearfield. And they have all agreed to be mentors for composers who want some mentoring in particularly art song. And so, uh, so, we put all this together and then toward the end, we were having some other conversations and they decided, how about uh, this year we encourage applications and prioritize applications from black composers who want to be mentored in art song composition. Wonderful. And so that has resulted in this mentoring opportunity for composers uh, this year. And so the applications are open. They've been open for a few weeks. They'll be open until September 7th. And they're turning this around. They're going to evaluate all these and choose 10 composers to be mente mente mentees, excuse me. And, uh, and they will each be paired with one of the mentor composers for this entire year. And Fantastic they will opportunity. have monthly check-ins probably with, uh, with their mentor and work on projects. And then we're really excited that a special feature of the program this year is that the Cincinnati Song Initiative is going to commission a song from each of the mentor, uh, the mentees and at the end of the year in May on their final season concert, uh, it's going to be entitled Let It Be New. And they're going to be performing the uh, com compositions of the mentees that have been developed during this year of the mentorship program. So it's just one of those projects, again, that you're having a conversation, somebody comes up with an idea, it it kind of blossoms and just all the pieces come together just right at the right time. 
And so we're really excited about it. I think it really heightens uh, Nats's mission relative to art song and mm -hmm. promoting art song. We do that in a number of ways. This is just another aspect of, and way we can broaden the scope of what we do within the art song arena. What a fantastic opportunity. Uh, now, where can, where can uh, potential composers that are interested in this project uh, find the details about the submissions? If they go to the NAS website uh, on the front page, there are a series of what's new articles. And one of those right now uh, is on this program and they can read the article and it clicks right into the information uh, to apply for the mentoring program. And uh, so it, it's a very simple application, submit a statement and a couple of examples of their work and, uh, and they can get it in by September 7th and the applicants will be notified by September 30th. So they wanna turn this around and get moving with uh, pairing up the mentors and the mentees. Wonderful opportunity. Thank you so much. We will put uh, links in the show notes and on our podcast page to this information for those of you who are interested. And Alan, thank you for your time yet again. Um, we will have you back on the podcast to keep everybody up to date with all things Nats. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nikki. It's great to be with you. And thanks for all that you do for our community. A very special thank you to all our wonderful guests this week. Dana Lentini, Karen Michaels, Alan Henderson, thank you so much for your time and expertise. I also want to thank you, the busy voice professional, for finding time and tuning in to our podcast. We are here to serve you, and I hope that you found something fun and informative that works for your teaching studio. Now, next time on the podcast, I'm so excited. Dana is returning and we are talking all about her brand new book, The Teaching the Child Singer. So exciting, wonderful new release from Hal Leonard. I'm also excited to introduce everyone to our new tech expert. Takenya Battle is a piano and voice teacher and she rocks the tech in her studio and she's going to help us do the same. I also have our good friend Shannon Coates. Shannon is going to tell us why we need to talk less and let our singers sing more in our voice studios. And vocologist Heather Nelson is dropping in with a little bit of neuroscience that can help our lesson pacing. All of this and more on our next episode. Now, before I let you go, if you are working with young singers in the teaching studio, please go to our website and check out all our free samples and all our wonderful resources. We now have new, exciting, fun music for your young students. Please check out our single song downloads. They are an easy and affordable way to get new music for your studio. As always, I am wishing you inspired teaching and happy singing. Made by Canoe Music Productions. <laughs>